0: Hello, and welcome to Learn It From a Layman. I'm Carl Christensen. Cameron Christensen is also here. We've got uh, Tim Cox and Johnny Nielsen, who today will be our, um, what's a good word, Um, expert would be probably the word we should use, but on a layman podcast, we'll use more knowledgeable individual.
1: I like that.
0: (laughs) Uh, okay, well, so the podcast uh, subject today is the physiology of the brain. So, um, I think the layman knows very little about the brain other than, uh, it's what you used to think. Um, so we're going to go slightly deeper than that, just a little bit. Um, so we're going to start with a little bit of the biology, I think. So the questions I was going to ask Johnny, um, First, tell us a little bit about the, like the bio, so people know the word neuron. Um, You mentioned that as we were talking right before the podcast started, but tell us a little bit about the, you know, the cells and the stuff in the brain.
1: Yeah. So there's a couple different types of cells in the brain. Um, The most uh, popular one is called a neuron. A neuron carries electrical signals from one part of the body to the other. and the ones inside the brain are usually connected to about 10,000 other neurons. So they all talk to each other and they all um, communicate with each other through these, what they call synapses. And that's just where one neuron communicates with the other. They send the signals down a very, very thin, if you think about it like a train track, they send, uh, they send these signals down this really thin um, train track called an axon and it can be very, very long. And, um, and then it can communicate with different parts of the body. So um, everything that we smell, we hear, we taste, um, we think, all this has to do with neurons and how they are perceiving the world around us. Um, so everything is in your head. It really is.
0: Hey, real question. So neurons, are they all like the same shape? Are they all like the same cellular structure?
1: That's a good question. Um, Neurons, not all neurons look the same and they have different types of functions. And I think that gets a little bit too deep into what we want to go into, but there are different types of neurons. And then there's supporting cells in the brain that help um, help with, number one, fighting infection. And then there's other ones that support structure. And then there's really, really important cells that help um, to make the, the action potential, which is that electrical signal. It helps that electrical signal get to parts of the body quicker so that you can have like faster reflexes now these take a long time to develop and you don't develop them fully until you're fully grown so that's why when a a child is trying to let's say throw a ball it looks so awkward they can watch you do it but it's hard for them to communicate with their arm how to actually do it because though they're just not coordinated enough the the synapses and everything aren't fast enough and the electrical signals traveling slower than it would in an adult so that's why uh, kids tend to be a little bit more uncoordinated with things which I thought was interesting
0: that is interesting does that also explain why <laughs> I'm yeah, uncoordinated yes Carl <laughs> you have no Schwann cells <laughs> <Okay.
2: laughs> to, to re- restate it a um, that means that a when I feel a sensation in say my hand Um, that's actually a chain reaction of an electronic signal going all the way up my arm and to my brain, which is processing the sensation. Then if I do something, there's a chain reaction going back, right?
1: Yes, exactly. So there's sensory. That's everything that comes into your brain from your body. And then there's motor. That's everything that goes out of your brain from, um, to your body. So there's a lot of things that are controlled. There's a lot of things that are sensory that we don't really pay attention to. And there's a lot of things that are motor that we don't really pay attention to either. But um, uh, so basically, if you think about um, your temperature regulation, that is not something you consciously think about. But your body is always sensing your temperature and it's regulating it. And when your temperature goes down, it increases the temperature. And when it goes up, it decreases the temperature to keep your body regulated uh, at a certain temperature. If you get too hot, then it knows that you're too hot and it sends a signal down to your sweat glands to release sweat. And then you sweat and it helps you cool down. So these are things that you can't really control. You can't say, hey, you know, I'm walking into this, uh, to this meeting, I'm wearing a suit, they keep it a nice, comfortable 79 in here, and I'm just starting to sweat, and I'm just going to turn it off. You can't do that because your brain, you can't control that part of your brain consciously. It's all unconscious. So there are things that you can control consciously, and there's, there's other things that you can't. Um, but all the sensory things are, uh, most of the things that we that we n- learn about in school are like sight, touch, taste, these types of things. And these are things that we can actually perceive. Um, but there's a lot of sensory input into your brain that is, are things that you're not really paying attention to. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. What about things like blinking? Is that, you know, is that voluntary? It's involuntary. I can control it, but most of the time I don't, right? You're breathing? Blinking. Uh, Blinking, blinking.
1: Blinking? Oh, yes. Uh, So there are things that you can control, uh, but will be controlled automatically if you're not doing it willingly. So you can override a few of these things, like breathing or blinking. You can override the uh, the automatic, the automaticity of it by, you know, making yourself blink or m- making yourself breathe harder. When you're speaking, you're controlling your diaphragm a lot more than when you're just relaxing, you're not thinking about it. Your diaphragm is just helping you breathe and you don't have to think about that. And that comes, that signal comes from the brainstem, um, which senses your oxygen and tells you, basically will just take a breath for you. Um, so you don't really have to be conscious to take a breath, which is good because all of us need sleep.
0: Ooh, so sleep is mean- one of the ones I wanted to bring up, uh, but maybe I'll save that for later. Cameron, did you? <laughs> were you saying something?
1: I was going to
3: say, unless your brain forgets to breathe while you're sleeping.
1: That's true. That's called uh, central sleep apnea. uh, And people that have that, they have to wear uh, a CPAP mask to help them breathe.
3: Yes. I'm well aware of that mask.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah.
3: Um, Okay. So
0: let's move on to, we'll come back to sleep a little bit later. Brain parts. So I know there are different parts of the brain, both like Physically, like hef- different hemispheres, uh, brain, brain stem, and stuff like that. So I guess before we talk about different functions of different parts of the brain, maybe you can tell us a little bit, like brain hemispheres, brain stem, like what
3: those parts are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so why
3: alligators are actually angry?
1: <laughs> you, you need to go watch Waterboy for that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's because the they, they're mad because they have all them teeth and no toothbrush. Uh, oh boy. So, um, there's basically, there's several areas of the brain. The one that most people think about, the big noodly part, is called the cerebrum. Um, so, that has two hemispheres, a right and a left. Uh, surprise, surprise, that they called it that. that that's, that's really thinking hard. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then they named the parts of the brain... Um, of that of the cer- of the cerebrum according to the bones that are above them <laughs> so it was a very clever naming of the of the brain so you have different lobes of the cerebrum uh, you have the frontal lobe parietal lobe occipital lobe and temporal lobe so that doesn't it's just basically each part of the brain controls something different um, but it's not different for every person. So for example, the occipital lobe, which is in the back of your head, um, where you where you lay your head when you're laying on your back, that is actually the part of your brain that is involved in processing vision. It's in the back of your head. So I, I, I will process that vision with the back of my head and so will you, Carl, and so will you, Tim, and so will you, Cameron. Um, nobody processes their vision in the front of their brain. That just It doesn't work like that. So there are specific parts of the brain that have specific functions. And um, so if you get hit, let's say you had an accident and uh, you hit the back of your head really hard and you damage that part of the brain or you had a stroke that destroyed that part of the brain um, in the back, then you wouldn't be able to see, which is funny that the back of your head is actually controlling what you see. <laughs> so it's kind of an interesting... Hey, thing. along
0: those lines, I've heard before that... Um, so different strokes or even you know c- catastrophic accidents that involve the brain. Um, so, I mean, certain types of parts of the brain are very malleable, right? So they can... So let's say you lose the part of your brain that controls language, Um, that to some degree, like there's plasticity involved and and you can relearn language using a different part of your brain, right? Yes.
1: Uh, Yes. To a certain extent, the brain is plastic and can um, start to... So some of the neurons can be taken over by one part of the brain functionally uh, to help it function better than it would if it didn't have those neurons. So yeah, there there is plasticity to the brain, and you can regain some of the function, but you usually can't regain all of the function.
3: And that was Wernicke's area, correct? If I remember my anatomy class?
1: Yeah, there's the Wernicke's the area, form? and there's also Broca's area, and those, those help you control... Broca's, um,
3: speech, and
1: yeah. Yeah, Broca's is speech control, and then Wernicke's does a uh, language comprehension
0: so, okay so uh, if I remember yeah you
1: know you know I, I can remember some of my stuff <laughs> Yeah, that's great
0: <laughs> okay so but that doesn't apply like the plasticity stuff we were just talking about that if you lose your sight you lose your sight right that no part of your brain isn't gonna all, all of a sudden pick up the ability to to recognize the inputs from your from your eyes uh, exactly
1: so let's say for example you knocked out a small portion of your uh, occipital lobe. That's what controls your sight. With plasticity, um, I mean, you might see, things would seem, um, you wouldn't be able to see clearly, basically. Now, over time, your vision could improve a little bit if it's a small portion of your occipital, uh, occipital lobe. If it's a large portion, you're not gonna be able to regain the function of that so it's all about uh, territory because your brain isn't going to take over a part that's functionally important for another function it's not it can't just flip-flop and say well gosh short-term memory is not that important i'd rather see and so i'm just going to um take that off it, do- it doesn't really work like that so small portions can usually be uh, can be more plastic and can resolve a little bit, but, uh, larger, uh, portions do not.
0: Okay. Um, so uh, brain surgery, let's, so real quick with, with surgery, um, when you go in to do some brain surgery, uh, I I know that obviously different lobes, different parts of the brain, but like you said, different parts of your brain can, kind of remap, and they might also depend on each individual, right, to some degree. Um, so if you, let's say they've got brain, a brain tumor or something like that, you're going to go and obviously want to remove the tumor, but how cleanly can you say, can you map out, like, this is, this is the part of the brain that does this, like, I know exactly what potentially the outcome is going to be for this patient?
1: Well, that's the really interesting thing, Carl, is that um, we know the general area Of those things, but each person is a little bit different in where their Wernicke's area is, where their Broca's area is, where their different parts of of motor function are, which is what controls your muscles or your sensory. So um, when they're removing a tumor uh, and it's in an area that is very important for that person to function, uh, an area of high real estate, they call it. Or expensive real estate they will actually keep the person awake for surgery and they will that's prod, terrifying yeah it is terrifying they can't feel anything but they're still awake and they will prod uh, the different areas around the tumor to see exactly what is uh is in charge of that function. So they know the general area like, hey, you know, we'd be worried that this person might not be able to move their left arm if we remove this tumor. So as they prod that area, they would ask the patient to do certain things with their left arm so that they knew when they were cutting out pieces of the brain that they weren't affecting the function of the left arm or they were minimalizing the effect on the left arm. Um, So depending on the area of the brain, they do keep people awake. They'll ask them questions. They'll ask them to remember things. They'll ask them to repeat things back. Um, and it, it is very interesting so that they can make sure they're removing pieces of the brain that aren't uh, functionally important to that person.
0: That really, I, I, that's something that's probably going to give me a nightmare, but <laughs> also very interesting. Yeah. Um, Okay, so before we go on, quick teaser, as I forgot to mention at the beginning of the show, we've got big news for uh, at the end of the show about um, someone in the show. Uh, So um, stay tuned for that. Okay, so we're going to move on to, okay, so I've heard the term gray matter. (laughs) What is, uh, what is gray matter?
1: Okay, so uh, remember we were talking about um, neurons? And then we talked about axons, which is that long train-like cord that comes off the the big cell body. It trails off and it's very teeny. Um, So gray matter, and then there's those cells that um, help with conduction. They actually surround the cell, uh, the the neurons, um, the axons, excuse me. They surround the axons to help with that electrical signal, everywhere that it's surrounded has a white color to it when you cut into the brain. Everywhere that is not surrounded by those cells is a dark color. Now, interestingly, the dark color will be areas where it's all cell bodies. This is the big round part of the cell, and then the part that is white is the axon, which is that long skinny piece that will connect with another cell. Um, so gray matter is just neurons that don't have this covering, which is called myelin, and white matter is the, is the uh, parts that do. So uh, the white matter is generally part that is conducting, and the gray matter is the part that's processing. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, that's really interesting.
3: So, can, can I make yeah, a little maybe laymanish terminology for it? Yeah. Basically, absolutely. the the myelin acts as a insulator, so the conductivity happens faster. Like when you have a wire, you have the plastic sheeting coating over that that insulates it, so you don't trigger other things. Yes, exactly. And that happens just to be white. So, yeah. I mean, all right, that is.
1: Now, there are areas of the brain that have grouped, gray, grouped cell bodies, so those are going to look gray. And then there's areas of the brain that have a lot of axons, and those are going to look white. In the brain, the outside of the brain, which is why when you, if you saw like brain surgery, everything looks white, the outside of the brain has those axons, so it looks white. The inside has the cell bodies. The spinal cord is the opposite. The inside is white and the outside is dark because the outside has the cell bodies and the inside has the axons. So Huh,
0: okay. Huh. That is very interesting. Um, so when um, you've heard, I've heard uh, there are movies based on this concept that we only use like some percentage of our brain, right? This idea that like, you know, we only use 10% of our of our brain and if we could unlock the other 90 or whatever percentage that they say I've heard that's a rumor um, or you know a, a false uh, or what what false
1: news, what fake
2: fake news, news. Fake news. <laughs> man, all of a sudden I
0: lost the term <laughs> those neurons aren't firing like they used to Carl <laughs> that's right I'm getting old Um <laughs> Yeah. So what, I mean, I believe that that's not entirely true. That's not the whole story, but what is the, uh, the actual, you know, do you know what the history of it is behind that, that idea that we only use some percentage, small percentage of our brain or how true is that?
1: It's not true that we only use a certain percentage of our brain. Um, we use all of it for different types of things. Um, and so it's. It's a little bit hard to explain. I mean, your brain is not, like, all being used at the same time, Um, but to say that you're only using 10% of your brain, that means that we could cut out 90% of it, and then you could be functioning just as you are currently, and that is just not even possible (laughs) at all.
0: Wait, are you telling me that movie I watched with Scarlett Johansson or whatever her name is? wasn't 100% accurate?
1: Probably not. So I don't really know where this idea propagated from, uh, but maybe they did some brain mapping to show active areas of your brain, uh, which they can do with MRI machines. They can see which parts of your brain are more active during certain activities or thoughts or that type of a thing. Um so maybe they mapped things and decided hey about 10% of the brain is active all the time. Um but Yeah okay. you're you're there's not there's not like extra brain that's not being used that you're going to be able to unlock. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it does.
2: Now here here's a follow-up question for that. Um uh, that that all makes sense. Wh- how do we explain the the vast disparity between you know, say a, a regular Joe, normal person or a layman and a, a true genius, you know, you've got these mathematical, you know, these brilliant people who can, you know, do ca- complex, you know, calculations mentally quickly, you know, incredible musicians, um, people with memories that are, you know, not, not just, you know, they're smart, but, you know, these are definitely, huge outliers. What's going on in the brain and and what maybe is the difference between the brain of a a regular guy and, uh, you know, a a real genius?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, and, And that's why the brain is so interesting, because we just don't have answers for everything. So the brain is really the last frontier. I mean, we know how the heart works. It's a muscle and it pumps. The brand is much more complex and there's some of these things that we don't really understand exactly why somebody is better at remembering things and, and creating those synapses that, or the the connections between cells that help them to remember things easier than somebody else. Um, I've always thought it's interesting that, uh, you know, you see these stories of these autistic uh, children that, can have incredible memories of certain things. Uh, You know, they can remember every single dinosaur and, uh, you know, spout off facts about sports, uh, but yet they're very awkward to talk to. Uh, So it's very interesting how their brain is different uh, than, than than somebody else's. There is some of it that has to do with genetics, so how your brain is put together, uh, and then, uh, you know, there's the nature and nurture aspect of things. How, is, how are your genetics? How were you put together? And then, how were you raised? And what opportunities did you have to develop uh, the brain in a way that would be able to remember things? So, you know, somebody that lives uh, in a rural area that um, only cares about farming and doesn't go to school or anything like that isn't going to develop the type of synapses um, that somebody that is a, like a college level student would, uh, because they just, when they were small, they weren't educated in that type of a way. And when your brain isn't being used um, in a certain area, then it, it doesn't like go away, but it, the, the connections there become not as important and your brain will start to recycle some of these connections and say, hey, you know what, these connections aren't that important. And we're going to uh, make connections in this other way to make sure that we know exactly what we need to do to survive. So depending on your environment, uh, you know, that can really play an influence on the the type of IQ that you have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but it is, it is interesting to think about how does somebody have a photographic memory and, and what are the things that play into that. And unfortunately, we just don't know exactly how all that works. And I haven't read too much into it to know if there is more information on that. That's just what I remember learning in my uh, neurology class.
2: And regarding memory, and maybe you can verify this for me, but I've, I've heard that actually sometimes the ability to forget is... Actually useful, as the brain kind of filters through and decides what to keep and what not. And I'm trying to remember what I read, but it was reading about this lady who had this this crazy memory. You know, she could remember exactly what she had for breakfast on this date, uh, you know, ten years ago or something like that. But how it
0: it was like a burden. Sounds Um, like she was just making it up. (laughs) That's right.
2: Eggs. I had eggs that day. I
3: I, I had Cheerios. Yeah. (laughs)
2: <laughs> that's right <laughs> but you know being be, sometimes being able to forget and you know it, wh- while we talk about how how cool it would be to have a photographic memory um our brain is is trained to direct its energy right so when i walk into a room i i don't pay attention to how many you know stripes of paint are on the wall because I, my brain recognizes that that's not important information right
1: yeah Uh, Yeah. Um, And and there are certain things, there are certain burdens that you don't really think about, too. Um, I had a physiology professor that told us about a gentleman that he knew that had a photographic memory. And uh, he served in the military and he couldn't forget any of the images or anything that he ever saw in his military experience. And a lot of it was very traumatic for him. So you think like, well, this would be such a cool gift to have, but it's not, not always so. There are burdens to having um, good memories and stuff like that. And there's also um, psychological benefit to being able to forget certain traumatic events. Um, I don't think any woman would ever give birth to a second child, naturally, if she remembered what the first one was like. (laughs) I mean, I I just don't think that that would ever happen. But your brain tends to process that and be able to forget it to the point where, yeah, women do have more than one. Carl knows all about that.
0: I do.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, You mean Debbie – Knows all about
3: that. (laughs) I was there too. (laughs) Well, I I think going back to what Tim said um, and Johnny about autistic people, I mean, if you really start talking to a lot of geniuses, um, you actually, a lot of them are a little bit off. Like it's maybe that they just think it process at a different level, but most people like you, you have a hard time connecting with them. So, I mean, it's it's kind of a different kind of thing when you go to that high IQ and then kind of what you were talking about with autistic kids, you know. That's why I pride, what myself the last, like, being
2: just, I pride myself on being just below average for
3: that reason. It's been, what, maybe <laughs> the last 20 years that we actually recognized that autistic people weren't basically stupid. I mean, if you kind of think yeah. about it.
0: So, yeah. That is really interesting. So, uh, on the, uh, kind of along those same lines, so obviously we don't understand a lot about um, where you know brain part, d- brain development for different people, but we do. There are these myths that are out there, like left-handed and right-handed, right? And and that's not entirely a myth, right? The idea that left-handed people their their brain areas aren't are mapped slightly differently than right-handed people. Is that right, Johnny? Um.
1: Uh, you might actually have done research on this since you're left-handed and I'm right-handed and I've just <laughs> accepted that I've got the superior hand. Uh, so.
0: That's incorrect. <laughs> That's incorrect. Left-handed people will take over the world. And uh, no,
1: There uh, is actually genetic um, uh, er- ways that your brain develops. And uh, for some reason, um, one part of your brain, uh, either the... The, so the right side controls your left side of your body and the left side controls the right side of your body. It's very complicated because it crosses, uh, in the midbrain. Um, but, um, for some reason, your brain is better at using one or the other for certain fine motor skills and you become used to doing things that way. And then it just becomes habit. I, I think that this area, this thing is a little bit plastic too. I think if you forced every child to use their left hand for everything, that they would get very good with their left hand and prefer their left hand over their right hand. But everybody knows that it's easier to live in the world as a right-handed person so that you can look at your pen and the writing is upright.
3: That's
2: right. Um. (laughs) You know, I, I saw a, a video on this and, and uh, it, it makes sense, but it talked about kind of um, evolutionary reasons for why handedness developed because it's not exclusive to humans. And the, the theory that they're putting forth was that um, the majority of a community having, you know, being, you know, all right-handed, for example, confers an advantage in in that the community can share tools um and and that kind of thing however there is a in in combat for example there is an advantage in being the um, opposite hand dominant and so there there is still a um you know most of the time the the survival push is for everyone to be dominant with the same hand and that's why you know 80% or whatever right-handed but because there are some occasions where it can be advantageous to have to be the non-dominant hand like in combat that might be a reason why there is a you know a a small percentage of population that is opposite hand dominant
0: you know is there is there any explanation for some of the pretends that they're left-handed even if they're right-handed though I guess.
2: Well, you know, they they also talked about you know the pretentiousness of left-handed <laughs> purists who are unwilling to, uh, you know. But uh, that was a just a to be
0: up. just to be clear to the audience here, we have two true lefties and a true righty on this podcast, and then we have someone who who is chameleon-esque. Uh, he pretends that he is whatever... You know, he just blends into the environment. Um, Tim.
2: And and note the jealousy there that, that, you know,
3: wishing that you, too, could fit into both worlds. I, I think <laughs> you, Carl. I do. I I, I, I will admit I, I do do some things right-handed. I do golf right-handed. <laughs> and <laughs> I switch hits frequently. So, I mean, Confession. there are some things... <laughs> So
1: here's something that's interesting about handedness, though, um, to think about, is that uh, about 90% of the population is right-handed. And it's for a lot of the reasons that Tim had said. It's easier to, uh, as a community, to use, you know, tools that are for right-handed people, um, that type of a thing. Now, if you look at, uh, like, baseball, for example you're going to see an overrepresentation of lefties in baseball
3: mm-hmm.
0: because baseball knows that left-handed people are generally better, mm-hmm. superior and generally, you know, just
1: in- you're oh, offending 90% of the people certain that positions. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That oh, well, i are why? better for all
3: <laughs> <Andrew> Deville, <stop. laughs> You take your <it. laughs> Okay, sorry. Go ahead,
1: John. So the, the reason for that is because um, since most, when you're learning how to play the sport, most people are right-handed, you learn your offensive and defensive tactics against right-handed people. And then the lefty has an advantage because the person, the person doesn't know how to react to a lefty, uh, like a lefty hitter, because they're used to pitching to a right-handed hitter, because that's what they do most of the time. And so the lefty gets this advantage because the uh, the person doesn't know how to react and doesn't know how to play the sport as well against that opponent. So you see an increase of left-handed people in uh, things like baseball and tennis and stuff like that, because they have an advantage because somebody doesn't know how to react to the way that they play the game. Whereas the lefty is used to playing against the right-handed person, and so they they're going to be at an advantage um to the person that is right-handed that's never played against a left-handed person does that make sense yeah it does so they yeah. put that left-handed pitcher in
3: and then he's all messed up
1: well, exactly left-handed,
3: left-handed water polo players Woot. that's right <laughs> my wife actually refused to learn to write right-handed because of her teacher so to Give her her the proverbial middle finger. She actually decided to learn to write left handed because she was writing with both hands in kindergarten. So, I guess also you know, you get the conscious plasticity of the
0: brain, which takes us <laughs> back to the. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that is interesting. Okay, I'm going to move back to more brain related stuff, even though left hand being left handed does make me want to just talk about that for a long time. But. Um, Okay, so Johnny. Generally, I think as we get older, it's harder to brain uh, to build synapses. Synapses, right? Is that
1: so? Um, to a point. So the way that um, the brain synapses work is that the more it's used, the stronger it gets, and the more important it is for the brain to keep that synapse with another neuron. Um, so. As you get older and develop habits, those synapses will become a lot stronger because they're used more often, which makes it harder to break them down and create a new way of doing things. Um, So if you see like a child that has, you know, a small stroke, um, they're going to be able to recover a lot of their function way better than uh, an adult would be able to because a child hasn't learned how to do like all the fine motor skills and all those types of things that an adult has been doing for years and years so it's going to be much more difficult for an adult to be able to uh, make their brain as plastic as a child's absolutely Uh, and it's just because you're making those pathways stronger that are working for you currently okay
0: uh okay. So generally, things like playing the piano, learning to play the piano, or learning a new language, or something like that, is generally You know, you're you're taught the general wisdom, the layman wisdom is you got to do that young, or you won't be able to do it later. Um, that's partially true, right? But that's not entirely true. I mean, it's plastic enough; you can learn those things later in life.
1: It's absolutely plastic enough that you can learn those things later in life. Um, but uh, it is; it can be more difficult than a, a child. Um, like for with learning a language, for example, um, bilingual children in a home, you know, they, uh, a lot of people think they're just, you know, they, it's really easy for them, but it's actually very difficult for them. And their speech is a little bit delayed in both languages until they um, get a little bit older, like into elementary school, and then they catch up to their peers. Um, So a lot of people think like, well, it's a lot easier to learn a language when you're little and look at these bilingual kids. Uh, look how easy they have it. It's actually very difficult for them to be able to, um, to function uh, when they're very young because they're not sure which language to use, to which person, and it, it's very complicated. Um, but it, it is easier uh, generally to learn things like language, like the piano, like an instrument, when you're younger because once again you haven't developed those habitual synapses you can um, your brain is a little bit more plastic which allows you to be able to learn it now as an adult you still can learn those things but it might take a little bit more effort
0: okay um which kind of takes me to the next question which is um as as you get age, as you get older Uh, as you near, you know, your seventies, eighties, obviously for different people, it's at different ages and some people just doesn't happen as much as all, but more often than not, people start forgetting things. There's dementia uh, that, that, um, what are those, what, what are those processes in the brain that happen as You get older where people start forgetting or, or there's dementia. What is dementia? Alzheimer's? What are those types of things?
1: Yeah. So your, your neurons, um, when you are undergoing development, um, you create all the neurons that you need and you basically that that is what you get for your life Um, and when a neuron dies um, or gets injured to the point of dying it your body can't take one of its other neurons and split into like a skin cell and just make another neuron that's why things like strokes are so devastating to people is because you can't regrow part of your brain like you can with a lot of other parts of your body like your skin um or your could you imagine um like if you you know cut your mouth and you you never were able to repair those cells or they couldn't divide um you know every time you bit your tongue you couldn't ever divide those cells and repair it it would be terrible but unfortunately the, the brain is very protected and specialized, but those neurons, there's only a certain number. So as you get older, um, the neurons start to deteriorate and they will undergo a process called apoptosis, which is programmed cell death. And uh, the more neurons you you lose, the harder it is to remember things and the harder it is to do things like you used to be able to, because you just don't have that brain capacity like you used to. Uh, Now, things like Alzheimer's and different other different types of dementias are accelerated um, brain um, basically atrophy of the brain where the brain starts to uh, deteriorate and uh, and it happens at a younger age than what would be expected and at a quicker rate. And because of that um, you, you see these people that just basically have symptoms very early. And, uh, you know, sometimes can't remember anything, uh, unfortunately. So it's, it's very sad to see. Uh, I have family members that have Alzheimer's disease, and it is, uh, it, it's terrible. And they're doing a lot of research in it to try to help with it. Um, but uh, unfortunately, um, it's still a problem. And there's a lot of people out there, I think probably everybody out there has a relative that is suffering from some type of dementia and my heart goes out to you. I know, I know how you feel and it is very difficult to see, but it's just part of the brain is just not there. That was before. And, uh, and that, you know, that creates issues with um, whatever part of the brain is being um, is going away. So when your part that's in charge of moving your body goes away, you're going to have trouble with movement, um, when the part goes away that is in charge of creating uh, or converting short-term memory to long-term memory, then you don't create any more long-term memories. So it all depends on which part of the brain is uh, is going away. So
0: is that all genetically determined then, or is there is there things that you can you know exercise, eat, um, you know brain games, brain apps that can help so that dementia or whatever it is has a later onset or anything like that?
1: yeah there are things that you can do uh, because again it's the nature and nurture thing <clears throat> so you are dealt a deck of cards but how you use the cards determines how well it lasts too so um so your genetics do have a lot to do with it and there are some dementias that are 100% genetic um but a lot of them aren't uh, for example there's a dementia called vascular dementia um And if you think about your vessels, when you get old, your blood vessels, when you get old, they get smaller and they get, um, you know, plaques in them and stuff like this. A lot of people worry about heart attacks. That's how you get a heart attack is you get these plaques in your vessels. Well, if that happens in your brain um, and it happens in really, really small areas, you get really, really small strokes that happen. You have like this stepwise decline of function in your brain. And uh, and that's a type of dementia that um, with good exercise, eating uh, correctly and, uh, you know, making sure you get your cholesterol checked, you know, all these different types of things, keeping diabetes under control, making sure you don't have diabetes. All these different types of things can uh, can help your brain stay at a higher functioning level than if you didn't do anything. So absolutely, uh, there are things that you can do to help your brain, but there are absolutely genetic conditions that will cause, uh, different types of dementias as well, which have, they don't have like a silver bullet or something that you can do to, um, to dodge that, unfortunately.
0: Okay. That's good to know. Um, All right, let's take one last subject before we wrap up. And that's one we kind of mentioned at the beginning, and that's sleep. So sleep, um, you know, a lot of us think a lot about dreams and what the meaning of dreams are. Can you talk a little bit about what happens in your brain when you fall asleep and uh, if there's any medical or brain physiology that we know about what dreams are and what they do?
1: Yeah, so I'm just going to speak from what I remember, which might not be 100% correct. So feel free, all listeners, to fact check me. (laughs) I don't mind being wrong. Um, When you sleep, there's different stages of sleep that you go through. Uh, There's stage one, two, three, and REM. Uh, There might be stage four and REM. Um, Anyway, I obviously remember this really well. And, um, so what happens when you sleep is that your brain is actually very, very active when you sleep, it's helping create those neuron, neuronal connections that are important for memory. And it's helping convert short-term memory to long-term memory. And, uh, and it recycles connections in your brain. That aren't needed anymore, those synapses that aren't necessary, like what you ate for breakfast three weeks ago. So, um, all these different types of things are happening in your brain. Uh, Dreams are thought to be these uh, when your brain is recycling synapses uh, that you're still getting some of those to fire and it triggers a memory. Um, and it triggers a sense or it triggers something. And then you're able, you see like these images and things like that in your, in your brain. Um, and to you, it's real. Um, so that's one thing I did want to hit on is your brain is telling you everything that is reality. Um, so when you are looking at something, the only the only thing that allows you to see it is your brain interpreting waves of light that are hitting your eye. Um, you're not actually seeing anything. Your brain is just processing what it thinks it's seeing. Um, and, uh, when you are hearing something, it's the same type of thing. It's waves of sound that are hitting your eardrum and then your brain is interpreting it as sound. Um, and, and it's that way with every single sense. And it's interesting, if you think about this, that your brain controls so many different types of things. It control, control, controls your heart rate. It controls how fast you digest. It controls um, how dilated your pupils are. And all of these things are controlled automatically. You don't have to think about it. So most of your brain, that's what it's doing all the time, is doing these things that you don't ever have to think about. And in fact, the only thing that you control in your body are your muscles. And you don't even control all your muscles. You only control your skeletal muscles. You can't control how fast your heart beats. The only thing you can do is move and you can think thoughts, but everything else It's controlled by this phantom brain that we don't that we don't have conscious thought over, which I think is really pretty fascinating that most of your brain is just automatically keeping you alive and making sure that everything is right for you to be able to go think and move and to be happy. So it's just it's pretty amazing to me. Uh, but yeah, Johnny. Okay, I so, don't know if I want to be alone with myself anymore. You don't want to be. Well,
0: no one wants to be alone <laughs> with you. So, <laughs> um,
1: uh, but the, the so so sleep is is very important um, for your health. And <clears throat> there are people that have done studies where they stay awake for a long time, and it creates some really bad issues. And um, the main thing I want the layman to know is that sleep is important for short-term memory to get turned into long-term memory. So if you want to do well in school and you're in college or in high school and you're listening to this, or you're trying to learn how to do something new, you need to make sure you're getting plenty of sleep. If you pull an all-nighter for three nights in a row trying to study for an exam, you are not going to do as well as that person that is studying and taking time to sleep because their neuronal connections will be more, um, they'll they'll be stronger than the person that doesn't sleep. So anyway, Johnny, you just gone. lost
2: ninety percent of our viewership because they're all sleeping now.
1: <laughs> I know it's oh, boring. They're all. Offended. I think it's fascinating.
3: <laughs> no, I think it's really interesting. So osmosis doesn't work. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> well, okay. Osmosis does, but learning by osmosis does <laughs> <laughs> not so much.
0: Okay, so, so you, you say. Sorry, go ahead, no,
3: no, I was I was just wondering, what about all these ninja masters that know how to like decrease their heart rate by meditation or thinking and stuff like that? Is that just they've created pathways to do that?
1: Yeah. So there are ways to be able to do that, um, and it does take. Um, so basically the way that they do it from what I, I understand, which is very, very limited is they're able to, um, put their brain in a state of thought where their autonomic nervous system, the automaticity says, I need to slow down my heart rate because of the sensory that is happening. So it is absolutely true. You can decrease your body temperature. You can decrease your heart rate. Increase your heart rate, just from meditation and things like that. Um, that but I, I, honestly don't understand exactly how it works.
0: <laughs> okay. Right. So, one last question before we do the big announcement. Um, so sleep. You said get enough sleep for, and uh, <coughs> uh, in order to you know help your help your brain do the functions. There is a point. Right, the, at different ages, there's different amounts of recommended sleep, um, and there's a point at which sleep is, is not really helpful. Right? Um, is there, um, I mean, brain-wise, you know, general health-wise, um, a particular amount of sleep that's that's required, or you know, what, what I mean, when you say get enough sleep, what does that mean? What what is the the advice, medical advice for for sleeping?
1: Yeah, so it's different for every person. Some people can function really well on very little sleep and some people need more So really you just have to figure out what works best for you But two or three hours. That's not enough
0: Okay Um, All right Well that I'm sure there are lots of parts of the brain that we could still talk about conscious consciousness generally We won't touch on that too much because my understanding is medically that's not too well under too well understood so uh, we'll leave that for a future um, uh, less scientifically based podcast where we all just spout off our yeah. fake news and stuff. Okay.
3: I was going to say for people that wants to know more about how much sleep you should have, you can always Google search or Bing search or Yahoo search. Got the three main ones there. <laughs> um, go to the national sleep and that uh, will, give you some good approximations to what you need at what stage point in your life.
1: So,
0: Oh, nice. Sweet. That's
3: a well, good that's reference.
1: Uh, one other <clears throat> interesting fact that's is that some mammals can sleep half of their brain at a time, like dolphins. That's amazing. <clears throat> so if you think about it, a dolphin needs to still be able to function because if it just goes to sleep, And it's not thinking about like going up to breathe. It will die. (laughs) So it's so it sleeps half of its brain at a time. Anyway,
0: that is really interesting.
1: And the Um, longest cell in your body is a neuron and it is three feet long and it goes from the bottom of your spine down to your big toe. And it's one cell and it has a very small that train track type thing called an axon. That goes all the way down, all the way from your spine to your big toe.
0: Wow. That's incredible. Uh, well, that is a good fact to leave us on. Okay, well, leave us as in we're now going to make the big announcement. So we need a drum roll. And we now, it is Dr. Johnny Nielsen now. So. <laughs> Johnny is now officially a doctor. So now that you've been listening to this whole podcast, you can know that, the, that this is no longer medical student Johnny giving advice. This is Dr. Johnny, um, which is, I'm sure, how you, all of your patients will refer, refer to you. They <laughs> <So>. better.
3: <laughs>
0: and uh, Dr. Johnny will be uh, moving into residency very shortly, I think, next month. And uh, so congratulations.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Um and other big news, I um got a dog. Wait, is that did
3: that you, you really? Quite, yeah, I, I really
0: I do, I have a dog. <laughs>
3: well, <you're, laughs> wow, your daughter has that. a dog.
0: That's correct. It's anyway, not as cool as getting um it, it was a little easier than getting a medical degree, though, you know, not about the same <laughs> <laughs>
3: So you want to go okay, with Dr. Far, Johnny and doc, Dr. J. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, Johnny. Uh, hopefully everyone
0: better understands the physiology of the brain, the brain functions, and uh, so let us uh, know if you have any other questions and comments or emails, and uh, we will be back next podcast discussing some other topic. Uh, let us know if you have any requests, and we will see. And
1: here's a, here's a thought for you to think about as you go out. Remember, your brain is the only thing that is telling you what is real so what your perceptions are are they actually real or is this all a dream
0: red pill place.